Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 31st, and our passage for today is Colossians chapter 1. Well, as you know, we need to get the context, and so we're going to look at the book of Colossians as a whole and why the Apostle Paul wrote it. Now, remember, this is one of the prison epistles. That means he was incarcerated while he was writing this. And as we go through this, we're going to learn more and more about God's graciousness and His goodness, who He is and really who He is and not who we make Him. You see, there's a lot of Jesus that's being preached today that is not the Jesus of the Bible, and it is the Jesus that Paul was warning the Colossians about following. Now, the city of Colossae was east of Ephesus. It was part of that semicircle of churches that is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Colossians is not in the book of Revelation, but it is in that same area of modern-day Turkey. The church at Colossae was needing a real solid doctrinal foundation to be laid about who Jesus is. You see, who Jesus is and who the Bible teaches him to be is so critical that we understand it, that the Apostle Paul gave us this paradigm to follow in the book of Colossians. Now, what I'm about to tell you is perhaps offensive to some of you. Because we're going to deal with heresies that were prevalent in the area of Colossae, and I believe that Paul was writing against. Why would I say that? Because of what he taught. And many times what you're teaching will lay the foundation to combat and defend against heresies. What's a heresy? It is truth out of balance. It is truth that has deviated. It is truth that has gone astray. And so when we study about the book of Colossians, we study from an academic standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, from an exegetical standpoint, we find what Paul is teaching against, and we kind of break it down, I do, into three different heresies that more than likely he was confronting at Colossae. One was a mixture of Judaism and Gnosticism. Gnosticism is from the word gnosko, which is the word for knowledge. You see, there is always in every generation, starting with this first century of the church, that always feel like there's some secret pathway to God. And you get this Gnosticism coming forth in all kinds of forms in our modern day, where you get people with handshakes and words and certain passages that give them access to God that no one else has, all of these kinds of mysticism or Gnosticism that's all blended together. But Gnosticism is this 
idea that there is a certain knowledge that's given to a certain few that allows them to have access to secret material that others do not. Now, this comes out in our modern day in organizations like the Masons, the Freemasonry, and and the organizations that branch off of that, the Scottish Rite and the Shriners, Freemasonry. I had a man who was a 32nd degree Master Mason that was truly saved and converted to Christ and became deeply convicted about his relationship with the Masonic Lodge. And he sat down, talked with me about it, brought me all the books that had threats that if he ever did that, they'd cut his tongue out and put it under the sea, Uh, all of these different kinds of things. And many men get involved in these Gnostic organizations that have their own version of the Bible. They have their own secret passages in the Bible. They have this certain knowledge, certain words, certain rituals and rites. That is just another form of religion, and it's a false religion. Many times people get into this, and they have no ill intent. They're just trying to do what their dad did or their grandfather did or the person before them, that they're involved with uh, Freemasonry or something to that degree, and they don't even know what it is because they buy into the fact that if they have this certain knowledge and these certain uh, passages, that it gives them a greater pathway to God. But the fact is, the Word of God is open. And if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you can understand the Word of God, all of it, as much as anyone else, if you will study and apply the principles of discovering truth from the Bible. You don't have to have someone give you some secret word or some secret handshake or some secret ritual. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Spirit of God is living in the life of every true follower of Jesus, and you don't have to have any kind of secret words or passages or any kind of secret ritual to help you to understand the Bible. This is very important. And so the people at Colossae were evidently coming up against this kind of teaching because Paul talks about how to combat that. So Gnosticism and Judaism kind of wed together and form this teaching that is uh, in incipient form in the book of First John, and you can uh, read about that yourself. Uh, no doubt John was fighting against Gnosticism, this idea that everything is spiritual and that there's um, a certain pathways to God and it comes through a secret knowledge. That's just not what the Bible teaches. Then there was mysticism, which there no doubt was some of that in the church of Colossae, and it was getting a foothold because the Apostle Paul dealt with it. Now, mysticism in its sense that Paul was dealing with claimed that basically Jesus was a created being. Now, this is the same kind of thing that is taught in Mormonism today and in some Judaism, that Jesus may be the Messiah, but he's just a created being uh, like Lucifer and, and like Michael, and that's just heresy. That's untrue. That's false teaching. Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator. John wrote immediately in John chapter 1, not that Jesus is a God, but he is the God. He is God walking. He's God talking. He's not some person that was born in a good family and then the Spirit of God came upon him and he is then a divine creature and, and that has certain powers and then at the cross those powers left him and all, all of that is 
is is mysticism and Judaism mixed. Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul claims, and we'll see it in just a moment, is God of God, man of man. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. Many times what throws people is that Jesus died on the cross. Well, death is not a ceasing to exist ever, ever, ever. So God didn't die on the cross. It was not death in the ceasing to exist. That is not only heresy, it's idiocy, because God is and never will not be. He always has been, is now, and always will be. And so let's get right into the text, and you'll see what I'm talking about. For instance, when you open up and you get past the openings that the Apostle Paul gave, the introductory remarks, Paul gets right into the prayer for them that they would be enlightened, that God would help them to understand what is going on, how they can have a deeper knowledge and a deeper walk with God through obedience. And so here is what it says after Paul gives this opening statement and uh, greets people. He says in verse 9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of your faith, that is of it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, he could pray that knowing that God would answer it. They didn't have to have some kind of special enlightenment from man. They just needed God to help them that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, because the word knowledge is used a lot, this is where Gnosticism comes from, in that they felt like they had uh, some secret passageway to God through knowledge. And we do know about God, and the reason we want to know more about God is not so we can have something that someone else doesn't, but so that we might access the person of God uh, to know more about Him, yes, but to know more about Him so we can know Him better. And he says, I pray that you'll be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the power, that's the word exousia, the authority, not dunamis, power as in dynamic, but uh, the authority of darkness and has translated us, he has placed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. It is in this realm, in this realm and authority of the son of his love that we have authority over the enemy, over the flesh, the world, and the devil and his demons. You see, we're not under the authority of the flesh anymore. You can overcome the flesh. I can overcome the flesh. We're not subject to the world's thinking unless we place ourselves under it. We are not under the authority of demons, and we're not under the authority of Satan. If you allow that, it is in your own flesh, because we have been translated out of the authority of the enemy into the authority of the Son of God, who is the one who bought us. He's redeemed us through his blood and given us the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is where verse 15, it gets pretty heavy. 
He is, that is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the presentation of God himself. He is the icon of who God is. He is the visible representation. And he is the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that he was born as a man. It just simply means he is the lead. He is the head of all creation. Why? Because it is from him that everything came. That's what John dealt with in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say that this Lagos, this Creator, this Creator created everything that there is. He wasn't created. He is God. He created everything else. He is the head and he is over all creation. For by him, all things were created. By who? This image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That is, he's above everyone and before everyone. For in him, this is the end of all that he's saying. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, that is, are subject to him. And he is before all things, that is, he had no beginning and he has no end. He is God, and in him all things consist, or that is, are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. All of this is just language that helps us to understand who Jesus is. He is God walking. He is God talking, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, this is critical for us to understand. Jesus is not a created being. He is the being who creates everything. And he was before everyone. That's what the language is. He's the firstborn of everyone. That doesn't mean that Jesus was the first of God's creation. That's not what the language says at all, but that he is the firstborn of creation. In other words, he was before everything. By him, all things are created in heaven and on earth. That's exactly what it says, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. That's all ranks of anything. That means angelic host. He created Michael. He's not equal with Michael. He's above Michael. Michael is subject to him. Lucifer is subject to him. Every angel is subject to him. And this is the way that God presents the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all one, uh, yet distinct in personality and function and role assignment. But that doesn't mean inferiority, superiority. That's the teaching consistently and confluently throughout the scriptures. And it says that he might have the preeminence in everything. For it pleased the Father. Now listen to this. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, in Messiah, All the fullness uh, should dwell, that is, that the fullness of the Godhead is in him, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And then he goes on to say, those of us who were alienated and enemies in our own mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh, that is, he came and took on flesh, lived as a man, he died. He did all of that to present you holy and blameless, me holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, 
and are not moved away from the expectation, the hope, the anticipation of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a servant, a minister. And now he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. In other words, Jesus died and he paid the penalty for our sins. Paul's not saying he can add anything to that. But the ministry of Jesus, according to the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 1, Luke said, I am writing, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, listen, began to do and teach. Now, he paid for our sins. That's complete. But the work of Jesus is not over. No, it just began when he died on the cross. A new beginning took place. And when the church was born and the church, as we suffer, as the body is persecuted, the Lord Jesus, in that same sense, is suffering with us. This is why he told Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you doing what you're doing? When Jesus is saying this, he's saying that when you do something to the, his body, you're doing it to him. When you're doing what you do to the church of Jesus, and it was all Jews at that time, what he was saying is you're doing it unto me. And so what we are doing is we're continuing on with the suffering of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship. God's given him a stewardship to fulfill the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from the generations, but has now been revealed to them who God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you say, well, there it's talking about mystery again. It's talking about certain knowledge again. Yes, but it's open for everyone, not for the chosen few. It is open to anyone. Anyone who is a child of God can understand what the Bible teaches. You don't have to have any kind of secret knowledge. It's open knowledge. And here is the mystery that Jesus in us is the hope of glory. You see, Jesus in us is the Holy Spirit that is in us. And it's not that God has the Holy Spirit in us and then Christ is in us. No, the two are one. This is why the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus. This is why when we get to heaven, we're not going to see three gods. We're going to see one God, and that is the visible manifestation of God who is Jesus. God is spirit. We could never know him. We could never see him. But Jesus has come to this earth to show us what God is like. You don't have to wonder what would Jesus do. Look in the Bible, and he'll tell you what he would do. You don't have to wonder, what would God have me do? Look at what Jesus did. That's what we do. Because Jesus is God walking in the flesh. He's God talking in the flesh. He was God born in Bethlehem as a man, as a person. And when he died, he died as the God-man. And that doesn't mean he ceased to exist. This is craziness. When we die, we don't cease to exist. The moment our eyes close in death, that doesn't mean that we cease to exist for a moment and then God brings us back to, no, 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 no. Our body dies, yes, but our soul and spirit live on forever. It never dies. 
because God created us in His image, and that means we will live forever or we will be separated forever somewhere. Well, this is a mouthful, I know, but the book of Colossians is, and we're going to go through it together as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.